This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Good afternoon. It's always wonderful to be here. And I'm grateful for this opportunity. Also, I'd like to thank Travis for the prayer on my behalf. Hopefully what I have to say will be of benefit to us. When I was going to high school, I ran cross country. Not so much because I wanted to run or was a dedicated athlete, but I ran because that's what a lot of the friends I had were doing and I was hanging out with them. So I was on the cross country team. Uh, I wasn't the fastest by any means. I wasn't the slowest. But I wasn't dedicated to improving my running ability because I didn't care if I ran or not. I was just part of the group. Part of our workout took us out of sight of the high school and directly past a cherry orchard. And myself and several other cross-country team members would detour into this uh, cherry orchard and basically just sit and eat cherries until the rest of the guys came back. So I guess under these conditions, you could say I was a cherry picker. <laughs> Have you ever heard that phrase, someone called a cherry picker? <clears throat> it's not as common as it used to be. But uh, in the 19th century, cherry picker was a term that was applied to a lazy seaman, uh, a crew member that would <clears throat> do easy jobs. <clears throat> he would pick the uh, easiest tasks and leave the harder ones for the more dedicated, hardworking uh, seamen. So basically, cherry picker, cherry picking it, it means uh, picking the best and leaving the rest as if there is a bowl of cherries sitting there for everybody to share and instead of just coming up and picking up a handful at random and being happy with what you got, no, the cherry picker is going to go through and get the plumpest and the juiciest and the ripest and leave the rest for everybody else. That's, that's kind of the idea of what uh, talking about today, uh, cherry picking, picking the best for yourself, the easiest jobs, if you will. So um, do we cherry pick when it comes to our spiritual lives? I believe we do. In all honesty, if I were to label anybody here as a cherry picker, I would put myself at the top of that list. We just recently finished an excellent series on the Holy Spirit. And I deliberately kind of stayed back in the shadows and uh, didn't volunteer for any of the sermons because this was a difficult topic. And uh, 
I wanted the easy jobs for myself, the jobs of unassigned topics is, is the ones I would choose. Anyway, I was, I admit, I'm a cherry picker. Don't get me wrong though. We all have our talents and our abilities and things that we're good at. And um, we have everybody here, I'm sure, would be willing to do anything and everything that they were asked to do. But to be honest about it, there are some parts of spirituality and uh, worship that are easier than others. And we do cherry pick the easy things. And so this afternoon, I would like to speak about whether or not we are cherry picking when it comes to sin. To explain, uh, uh, here's an example of what I mean by this. Is lying worse than cursing? Is uh, stealing worse than drunkenness? Is sexual immorality worse than murder? And then uh, you, you, you might find one of these that you become so focused on that you think, oh, we need to work on that. We need to correct that. We can't be having that. And then you're exposed to one of the others and it goes in one ear and out the other. Kind of like, well, well that's, that's okay. That's not so bad. So many times in today's world, we categorize things, uh, things as, oh, that is not as bad as that is. So are we cherry picking which one we consider to be a more severe sin? But is there really uh, such a thing as a more severe sin? We're going to go look at James in chapter 2. And in James in chapter 2, the first seven verses of this chapter, James is telling, uh, talking to the people and telling them how they show partiality. The uh, folks would gather for the assemblies and the people were seated according to how they were dressed, uh, what kind of fancy clothes they had on or uh, their jewelry, uh, I appeal. They were seated in places of importance, whereas perhaps the poor or the less desirables, they were put back off in the corner somewhere. They were um, kind of out of the spotlight, if you will. And um, they would honor the rich with the, the important places, and they put the poor off there and kind of act like they're just not there, you know. And James is scolding them about this. He is saying, this is wrong. We cannot show partiality. So um, they weren't just doing it in, the, in their seating arrangements. They were also doing it according to behaviors. So we're going to go read a little bit there in James. <clears throat> it's starting in verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, 
and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. <clears throat> James is saying here in verse 8 and 9 that if you follow the whole law and are negligent in a little part of it, you're guilty of all of it. Uh, if you're doing everything that Jesus commanded and you show partiality, then um, that's a sin of partiality and we're guilty of the whole, whole bunch. And people do this. They do choose the easier things to deal with. Whether it's a problem in the church or in our daily lives. We are choosing the thing to correct that maybe it's because the people we hang with, our family, our friends, uh, our neighbors, but we are focusing on one particular sin and saying, oh, this needs to be corrected. We need to work on that. Because it's easy to say something when everybody around you is saying the same thing. As it is with a lot of things, though, there are two sides to every story, they say. We become so determined to focus on the one sin, and we don't see the sin in our own lives. It makes me wonder if we are not kind of doing the same thing that um, the Pharisees and the scribes did as mentioned in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, you remember the story, the scribes and the Pharisees caught a woman in the act of adultery. And they dragged her before Jesus, wherever he was, maybe in the town square or wherever. They dragged her before Jesus and they pitched her down there in the dirt. And they're all standing around with stones in their hand. Because the penalty for adultery was to be stoned. So how does Jesus respond? Well, we're just going to go to John chapter 8 and we're going to take a look at it. Quick as I get my papers to keep from sliding off the thing here. Okay. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. In the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Of course, 
the scribes and the Pharisees were testing Jesus and trying to uh, get him to say something that they could use against him. And when Jesus responded that way, here we are, these people are all standing around ready to stone this woman who they're so focused on. And Jesus points out to them this, and he says, uh, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. I suspect that all of a sudden you started hearing thud. Over there, thud, thud. People started dropping their stones, and they just kind of faded back out of the square, leaving Jesus and the woman alone. They realized before they go criticizing someone else's house, they better get their own in order. Another example to use um, is uh, in Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, in this particular chapter, Paul is addressing the fact that there is a horrible sexual sin going on. As it turns out, a man had his father's wife. And what was the church in Corinth doing about this? Well, in 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter 5 and verse 6, we, we read there, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? That word glorying, according to Strong's Dictionary, that, that word translates as boasting. So these people see this sin going on, and they are actually boasting. They're not boasting about the sin or, or the fact that it's happening. They are boasting about, oh, their tolerance of it. They're just, yeah, we, we know there's right and wrong. We, we know this guy over here is sinning, but we love him. They're boasting about their tolerance of the situation. Paul goes on to say that they need to cast that individual out because he will affect all of them. His uh, evil doings will, will spread into the rest of the group. And so there they are, they're boasting, saying we, uh, we can accept that. That's kind of what I mean about, like, cherry-picking. Um, we can be just like the scribes and the Pharisees and be so caught up in one sin, saying, oh, this, this has to be dealt with. We can't, we can't allow that. And then uh, something else is happening over here, and it's kind of like, well, that's not as bad, you know. We'll, we'll let that one slide for a while, you know. You might say that partiality is a small thing, but it even affected the apostles. <clears throat> For example, in chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul is talking about how himself and Peter came to the town of Antioch. And this town is primarily Gentile. And it goes on to say, and if I read it correctly, James and a group of men from Jerusalem 
had arrived in Antioch before uh, Paul and Peter. Uh, Yeah, before. He got there before them, and he brought a group of men with him from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is primarily Jewish. Think about how difficult it would be for new people to come into a congregation and to not know how friendly they're going to be, how welcome you're going to be. Are they going to open their arms and say, come on in? And so in that case, you might just find it easier just to hold back and and not rush into things. But what does Peter do? He takes the easy way out. He says, oh, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go over here and eat with these other guys. These guys that came with James, they're Jewish. I can fit in with them. I'm going to go eat with them. Peter's decision even led Barnabas astray. All of that was kind of a paraphrase, but uh, just so that we get it right, we're going to read it. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles, and when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled disassembled likewise with him. Insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Another point to make concerning partiality. We, uh, we're going to go look at um, uh, Luke. Chapter 14 and here in a minute. Uh, But we should not try to fellowship for personal gain. All right, Luke 14 and verse 12. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made thee. <clears throat> but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. What Jesus is saying here is that we are supposed to be hospitable. But we are not supposed to uh, do it in such a way to where we're thinking, oh, if I invite that family over for dinner or have them over and they have dinner with me, at some point later on, they will return the favor and invite me over to dinner. Well, that's not the way we're supposed to do that. That's doing things the easy way. There are some relationships with our brothers and sisters in the church that we genuinely have to work at 
in order to build those people up, uplift them, strengthen them, and bring them closer to Christ. And if we choose not to do that and associate with just the people who we are familiar with or are comfortable with, then we are choosing who we spend our time with. We're cherry-picking which of our brothers and sisters deserve our time. We don't have that right. The last point I would like to make when it comes to cherry-picking is whether or not we cherry-pick our priorities. We're still in Luke 14. We're just going to go look at uh, the parable of the great banquet. Did I miss one? I did. I'm sorry. But Luke 14, 16. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. <clears throat> the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Whoops. Go back. And another said, I have married a wife, and I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come, that thou, my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. This parable is talking about the gift that Christ gave to all humanity. The gift of salvation. And whether or not we would receive it. The person who is a cherry picker might take the easy way out and say, oh, there's time. I'll do it later. I'll do it when it's more convenient. I'll accept this wonderful gift at my own leisure. And by delaying, they try to do it on their own, but they cannot. I tell you, God really knew what he was doing when he gave us a church family that we can uplift and strengthen each other. And we need to do this because just as he's, I don't know if we have any wolves in this country or not, but just as easily as a, uh, a newborn lamb or a calf 
can be taken by a wolf. A lone Christian trying to make it on his own without the help and support of the family can easily be taken by Satan. We cannot do it alone. If you have not accepted this wonderful gift, please do. Please be baptized for the remission of your sins and be welcomed into this wonderful Christian family. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.